Um, all right. We are continuing our series that we've been teaching for a while on what it means to be a real church. We've been reading from Romans, the 12th chapter, where the Apostle Paul says, gives us the analogy of the church is like a physical body, and it's referred to as the body of Christ. And just like the body uh, that we carry with us has lots of different parts, and they don't all do the same thing, and they don't all look the same, they don't all act the same, it makes one body. And in fact, that's how the Christian church should be. A healthy church should be a diversified church. A lot of times churches tend to segregate off under all kinds of, uh, along different lines. You got rich churches, not so rich churches, poor churches. You got black churches, white churches, green churches. You got all kinds of different churches. You got little churches that all think the same about a certain doctrine and churches over here that think the same about a certain doctrine. There are 400,000 churches in America today. 80% of them have 100 people in them or less. That's about how many people you can all get in one room without killing each other and all agreeing on everything the same. But they're thinking poorly, in my opinion. Church is not about everybody all thinking the same. I think God is the most glorified when you get a bunch of people together who don't all think exactly the same, who don't all look the same, who don't all come from the same side of the tracks, but yet we gather together and we are part of the body of Christ and together we are a testimony to the world that God loves us all. Hallelujah. So that's what church should be about. Anyway, we ended off in a Romans, the 12th chapter and the 12th verse, where it said, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. That's, <laughs> that's tough to do. When I'm in affliction, I ain't patient at all. I want to get out of affliction. And then about being faithful in prayer, that was the last point that we read, about how important it is for us to be involved and connected with God in prayer, directing the hand of God in our lives. We use a military analogy of soldiers Uh, engaged in the battlefield but someone is calling in strategic strikes military strikes air support strikes you know a cannon hits whatever it is uh, and they're on the front line and they're calling in these strikes that's the way prayer is supposed to be in our lives could God just walk in and nuke everybody yes he could he chooses not to he chooses to use you and me and if God isn't moving much around your life whose fault is that you got to call in the strikes, man. You got to ask God to move. Look, the number one reason people do not experience answers to prayer is because they do not pray. They whine, complain, bellyache, scream, worry, fret. We're fabulous at that. But that's not going to get God moving in your life. We need to learn to pray and to pray effectively and confidently, asking God to move in our lives and in the lives of the people that He brings us in contact with. And be very specific. In your prayers. Don't just make your whole prayer. You know, God bless everybody. Amen. All right. A little, a little more specificity would be a good thing. Okay. So now we are picking it up in verse 13. He writes this. He says, as part of being a healthy church, a healthy body of Christ, we need to share with God's people who are in need. Now, you know, I was talking about this toward the end of last year and then the year you know, with all the adjustments with budgets and stuff like that, this kind of got pushed off the, the burner, but it's going to be getting back on the burner. But it's this idea of setting up a system in Celebration Church, our church here, that people who have needs can post their needs, either uh, we're going to come out with a, a booklet uh, once a month or online or something like that. I can't wherever we left off on the deal, but uh, uh, we're kind of 
They had a lot of other stuff going on, but we're going to get where you can post online or wherever specific needs, and then someone can respond to that need within the church. It's called helping one another. I mean, there might be someone here this morning who could really use a lawnmower, and there's someone else over here who's got three of them and doesn't need one, and if they knew that you over here needed one, they'd be happy to give you the lawnmower, and we can start to help and encourage one another. Might be someone over here today. It's the end of the world because they're a hundred dollars short on something. Someone over here, a hundred dollars is nothing to them. And they say, you know, I'd be more than happy to help that person. That kind of helping each other and being a family to each other. And we are going to get this system out and uh, that we can really start connecting with one another and helping uh, meet each other's needs. Why? Because we're a family. A family is supposed to be there for one another. And the Bible is very clear here. We should share with God's people who are in need. Now, I used this analogy a few months ago. And then I got all kinds of calls. Who was the guy who needed the lawnmower? (laughs) It was just an analogy. I don't know if anybody needs a lawnmower. Don't call me, okay? About a lawnmower. So it's just whatever. Just that's an example. But we will get this. And, and it will be a system that you don't need to be calling to find out who needs what where. You will see it posted plainly and clearly. And I think it's going to be a fabulous thing that we can do to help one another and to really live out the love of Christ. Look, we all go through varying times. Some of us uh, are in times of great blessing in our lives. Others in times of great need. Uh, it might be a year from now when that person who was in great need is now in a time of great blessing. And that person who was in a time of great blessing is now in a time of great need. You know what God's plan is to fix that? Helping each other. When you are in a place of blessing to help those that are in need. Why don't we do that? Just most churches don't do those kinds of things. I think we sit around and and we just expect God to do it all. And God will answer prayer. But he expects us to get involved in people's lives and connect with each other. Next part of the verse says, practice hospitality. What does that mean? It means invite somebody to your house. I don't want (laughs) to. That's the problem. (laughs) It's something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to connect with each other. Look. Churches are pretty good, depending on the church, uh, with this, with the vertical connection to God. This morning, the fabulous worship, the songs, the prayers, as we all jointly pull together and, and, and sent our praise and worship to God. But where churches have been not so good has been this, okay? We need to start being better, not, not just focusing on our vertical relationship with heaven, but also a horizontal relationship with people around us. And we need to connect with people. Let me tell you the sad truth. And this applies to us as it does to millions of people in America gathering in churches today. The reality is a lot of church is pretty much a movie experience. You know what a movie experience is? So you go into a room with a bunch of strangers you do not know. And you sit down next to them in comfortable chairs and then you enjoy a corporate experience together. You laugh, you cry, you jump at the scary parts. Maybe you scream like a 16-year-old girl like me when I go to them. And, uh, ah, you know, that kind of stuff. But when you're done, everybody goes, oh, that was fabulous, and you leave. Okay? What I just described is a movie experience. I also just described the majority of the Christian experience 
in America today. People happily come into church, sit with people they don't know, have a corporate experience, laugh, cry, whatever together, and then leave still not knowing anybody. We need to do better than that. We need to get better at this. Look, I know we're Americans, and Americans are independent. Nobody tell me what to do. I'm a man. I can do my own thing. I'm on my own two feet. You know, but this idea of everybody living on a separate island is just insane. People, there's a reason why we have hundreds of millions of people in America today, and so many of them are lonely, depressed, frustrated. Why? This culture in which we live, and God bless America, but we got some problems. One of our problems is this idea, I don't need anybody. And what happens? We create the environment where so many people, some of you sitting here today, struggling deeply in life. Little to no friends, depression, loneliness. Why? Because you're on the island. Everybody's on their little own island. You know, you've heard me talk about this with married couples. I think the worst thing in the world married people do is everybody stays on their own island and everybody just mind their own business. And I'm going to mind my business and you mind. I'm jumping on islands, by the way, here. I'm surprised I don't hallucinate with this carpet. This is the weirdest looking thing I've ever seen. But uh, all this, all these little islands, everybody got the little island. Nobody knows none of our business. It's our business. Nobody should know our business. You are crazy doing that. You live on an island by yourself, especially you and your wife, man, you're going to turn into survivor and you're going to try to outlast, outwit, outplay and then you turn into cannibals and you start eating each other and it just gets crazy. Life was never intended for people to live on islands. Get off the island already. Come to the mainland. Connect with people. Share with people. Honestly, some of the fights couples have, that they fight over the stupidest things on earth. Me and my wife fight over the stupidest things on earth. Good Lord. But when you start sharing it with other people, you start realizing, gee, that's kind of stupid. And as I was just the two of you, it's really important, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. How come you didn't butter front of the bread to the edges? It's supposed to be to the edges. I've asked 20 times. You got to butter the bread to the edges. I don't want to do it. I'm ready to do it. You need to do it. No, you need to do it. You stupid bread. It's just crazy. And, and, you, and you mean it. And you're intense. And you're convinced you are righteous. And I am right. That butter should go to the edges. That is why God made edges. But then you take that stupid argument to somebody else. And well, I guess that's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, you know. <laughs> the reason y'all go at it so much because nobody else is in your life. Get some friends for crying out loud. Get a life. Talk to some people. Quit living on the island by yourself. You don't have to just be married. You be single people. But again, to everybody's just on their island. Everybody's their Christian experience. Everybody's got... I'm seven on islands again. Everybody's on their little island. Everybody, you know, nobody knows. Nobody, nobody knows nothing. God never intended church to be this way. That means we got to stretch a little bit. We got to go out of our way. We're supposed to be thinking different than the pagans that we live amongst. It's time that you start inviting people into your life. It's healthier for you. It's lonely on the island. Invite people into your homes. So I'm not very good at that. That's why it says practice hospitality. Sometimes you just need to practice it. Just do it for heaven's sakes. 
You know, well, I don't want you know, see people they they, they they get hurt. People get hurt and then they think, well, I'm just gonna protect myself and I'm just gonna sit here because I don't want I'm tired of people hurting me. Yeah, I tell you what, you get involved with people, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get disappointed. Get over it. Seriously. People around you don't disappoint you? Come spend some time with me, I'll disappoint you. <laughs> get a life already. What is it? I don't never want to get hurt again. That's what we do. That's why you got to forgive one another. Why do you think Jesus said you need to forgive one another? Why do you think Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us? Why? Because people are going to sin against you. Sometimes it's me. I don't want to, don't mean to, but that's when we got to apologize to each other and go on and confront each other and talk it out. This is healthy. This idea, just all the island stuff. I'm never going to talk to nobody no more. I'm going to hurt my feelings again. That's pretty good. <laughs> Hopscotching, man. And I like this. He says, do not forget to entertain strangers. Now he takes us to the next level. Say what? On the church, you're supposed to be inviting others into your life. They said, you need to go front. You need to invite people. They're just strangers. You don't even know these people. Now you want to be careful about that. You got somebody walking around the neighborhood in a ski mask and a chainsaw. <laughs> I want to pass on that boy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll trust God for that boy right there. You know what I'm saying? But even entertaining strange, well, I don't know that person. I don't, I don't know who they are. I don't know. They, I don't want to be bothered. But Paul says this. He says, listen, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Say, is that true? Oh, yeah, it's true. You know, I've heard some fabulous angel stories in the 40 years I've been a Christian. I mean, nobody knows for sure, for sure, but boy, you hear the stories, you go, wow. See, God says there's still angels walking around us. What do they look like? They look like you. (laughs) They do. They do. So how will I know? That's the point. You don't know. But it's amazing to know. We know we're not alone. God is actively at work. You know that person you're walking by, that person you're blowing off, that person you're ignoring, that person you waved at with that one digit? <laughs> Maybe it's this one. In the car, beep, honk. Ah! You might have just flipped off an angel, man. Ain't gonna be embarrassed you at the heaven, there's that angel. I remember you flipped me off. <laughs> uh Every once in a while we go out and we do, uh, you know, we do our annual men's conference, our manly men conference coming up in uh, June of this year. By the way, the ladies already put us to shame, boys. They sold this thing out. Boom. We never quite get sold out of the men's thing. We need to sell this thing out next time. But uh, hundreds of guys from all over the country come to that and looking for a great one. But we also do men's conferences around the country. Every once in a while churches will invite me to come and do a manly man conference at their church. And I call a couple of guys, you know, Brad Stein and my brother Eddie or something, and I will go. You can imagine the three of us monkeys. I mean, <laughs> we're talking 24 hours of insanity. 48 hours. It's a two-day event. We laugh our butts off. It is so much fun. I wish y'all could come along with us. But uh, uh, anyway, our last one we did in Louisiana. We had a men's conference down, manly man conference, and it was me and Eddie and some other speakers. And uh, uh, I, I uh, invited one of the guys who comes to our church, um, Tony Dollinger 
who uh, goes to the church, him and his wife Susan, on the, uh, over to the West Side campus. And I was talking to him one morning, and I said, hey, Tony, what are you doing? Like, next couple of days. He said, ah, nothing. I said, you want to come to a conference with us? He said, sure. So he came along, and, and he spoke with us, and uh, we had a riot, laughing our butts off and eating nonstop in Louisiana. And uh, it was so much fun. And, uh, and, and uh, he had a chance to share uh, Tony uh, talking to the young guys that were there. Uh, it was fun. Uh, Tony used to play uh, football, uh, played in, uh, over in NFL foot or Europe football, and then I think a year with the uh, the uh, who was that? Tony? Where's he at? Oh, there you are. Who was it? Uh, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Anyway, Detroit. Uh, <laughs> That's just mean. I'm sorry. Anyway, so I already disappointed him. I just got started. But anyway, uh, we're on this trip, and then Tony shares with me one of the coolest angel kind of stories I think I've ever heard. And I knew I was teaching on this this morning, so I called up Tony. I said, Tony, come to church with me tomorrow on the main campus at, at Bayside, the Bayside campus, and I said, uh, share your story. So Tony's going to come on. Give Tony a hand as he comes up. Talk to us, my brother. Good morning. Boy, do we have a great church or what? I'm going to share this story. And up until this point, I've shared it with probably four people since 1989. So, and I, the reason being, people think I'm nuts. You know, you get that raised eyebrow look, you know. So here I am in front of thousands, and I'm going to share it. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. (laughs) August. (laughs) August uh, 24th, 1989. I just got back from Europe. I was playing over there. And a buddy of mine called me up and said they need a teacher down in Orlando, Florida for a, a Christian school. I said, well, I'm pretty much done playing football. I'm tired of getting my butt kicked every day. So... I decided, hey, when do you need this teacher? And uh, I said, well, tomorrow. I'm in Green Bay. You're in Orlando. But guess what? I got a 300 ZX twin turbo. I'll be there in 20 hours. Now, the first thing that I bought when I was playing, uh, the very first thing, what was this car? Now, this was a nice car. I mean, it was black, camel leather interior. It was sweet. Five-speed. It just it just drove down the road beautiful. Yeah, I was speeding. I'm breaking laws of land, but at that time I was 24. I didn't care. So you got to understand, I'm thinking to myself, let's see, I can be in Orlando 85 miles an hour. I'll be there on time. What time's the meeting? Six o'clock that night. Great, I'll be there. So here I go. I take off. Now, everything's going great. I'm cruising down the road, and I get about mm, 100 miles past Indianapolis, and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm driving, I noticed I needed a little bit of gas. So I saw this ramp. And I thought, oh, I could probably make it a little far. But then I, at the last second, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of yank your wheel and you pull right into the thing and just get something. So I pulled into the off-ramp and I got gas. I get back in the car. I noticed my lights are a little bit dim. And I was like, well, that's no big deal. And I take off. I get on the off-ramp, on-ramp, and I head on down the road. I get about a mile and a half, <clears throat> two miles, and my car just absolutely dies. And I start to coast. Now, it's dark when your lights go off on the car at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
So I hit my flashers and I kind of coasted. Now, if you know, you know, you look at the roads, you got the white line, then the center line, and then you got about 10 feet of asphalt from the white line to the grass, correct? So I decide, I'm in a black car. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no other cars really driving. I'm just going to coast off into the grass with my flashers on. I'm like, okay. So now, in my great wisdom, I'm deciding, should I get out and walk in this blackness back to the gas station? What should I do? I decide, you know what, I'm just going to take a nap, sleep a couple hours. Sure, a police officer will come by and give me a ride back to the gas station. Or something will happen. Well, something happened because as I was leaning my seat back to lay down and get comfortable, there was a knock on my window. Now, this is where it gets kind of weird. So after church, don't think I'm weird. But I would see uh, lights coming behind my car. Would you not in the middle of the night? I did not see any lights appear behind my car and lighten up the inside of my car as it pulled up slowly behind my car. Didn't see it. But I saw this dude knocking on my window, so I was a little bit nervous at first. I thought, hey, you know, what's up? So I couldn't roll the window down because I had no power, so I had to open the door. So I, I'm like, dude, this guy's kind of big, too. So I, I got out of the car. I said, hey, what's up, man? He said, he said what's up back? What's the problem? I said, my car. Man, my lights died and the car's dead. He says, it's probably your alternator, man. I said, that's probably right because I was, I was doing just fine. Well, how about this? Why don't I take you back to the gas station and... Uh, you can either A, get another battery, and then you come back, put it in, and drive back, and then let them fix your alternator, then you're good to go, or else we'll just get a tow truck. And I said, ah, that sounds like a good idea. So we get in the car and we leave. I'm a little bit nervous still because I don't know who this joker is, you know, but he was really a cool dude, man. This guy was really, really cool. <clears throat> we get up to the gas station, and we talk to the tenant, and we get a battery. Now, this takes approximately about 40 minutes to get this battery and look it up and all that stuff. We decide to drive back. We get on the on-ramp, same one that I just got on. We start driving down the road, and we get about, I don't know, 200 yards, and you're seeing flashing lights all over the place. I mean, it's just lights everywhere. And I'm like, man, some poor sucker just had a car wreck. That's too bad for him. I get up there. It's my car. I can't find my car. All I see is a semi, 18-wheel, on its side, laying in the ditch. The only reason I knew it was my car, because I saw my Detroit Lion helmet in there. I'm like, hey, oh, hey, wait a minute. I see my clothes on the highway, and I'm thinking, stop the car. i got to get out. Now, I'm in shock now, because I'm, I'm, it's very surreal to see this, and I can't find my car. I, it, my car's nowhere to be found. So off in the distance, on the, into the field, I see flashlights kind of going like this, and they're walking and moving, and I could kind of see, and a police officer stopped me and said, hey, man, what's going on? I said, hey. I think my car got hit because this is my stuff on the road, and but I don't see my car. So it's added over there, and it was 56 feet into the field. It got knocked. This car was completely run over the top of. Nothing. In the, the the car seats were completely flattened down. The wheels were kicked out, and it was upside down on its in, in a field. And I just I could I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. Well, anyway, shock wore off real quick because now I'm getting mad. Uh, people are running over my stuff, so I'm out in the middle of the road, and I'm basically telling people to slow down, kicking the side of their car, because I'm really mad. No, I mean, I don't I guess I could be. So we get everything buttoned up. takes about two hours with the police officers and all that stuff, and, and uh, Mike says to me, he says, hey, man, what do you want to do? And I said, well, 
why don't you give me a lift back to the gas station? I'll get a bus or something and get to the, I'm going to go to Indianapolis, back to Indianapolis, get a flight because i got to get to Orlando. He says, no, nah, man, I'll give you a ride. So you, that's over 100 miles. He's no problem. I said, where do you live? He goes, I'm 60 miles south. I said, well, you're going to go 100 miles north? He says, it's not a problem, brother. Let's go. We get in the car and we jump in there. I'm still a little bit upset. I'm in the car and I'm flailing in the car and I'm, I'm just not happy. And I'll never forget what Mike turns to me, looks at me and says, hey, man, it's just material things. And I said, yeah, but they're not your material things. <laughs> and then he said something else to me. He says, you know what, bro? Would you really care about the material things if you were still in that car? So I cooled out. I was like, that's cool. We had a nice conversation all the way there. I fly to Orlando. My mom and dad are here. They pick me up at the airport. I tell them what happens. Okay. For the next 60 days, I talked to Michael 13 times. He calls me back three times. When we got to the airport, I realized all my stuff was thrown in the back seat. I had no suitcase, no box. I said, hey, man, Mike, what are we going to do? He says, don't worry. I'm going to box it up for you, and I'm going to send it to you. What's the address? So I called the church, got the address. He sent it to the church. I got there in about a week. So here's my box of stuff sent at the church. I've now talked to this man 16 times. <clears throat> After I'd settled with the, with the, uh, the insurance companies, I was going to call Mike say, Mike, man, here's 500 bucks. I really appreciate all the gas money, the shipping of the, the package, all that stuff. Man, go do what you need to do and get something nice, whatever. I was really thankful. So I called up the number, and it was not service. Okay, so I, maybe I dialed it wrong. I called the number again, not in service. I called it a third time, not in service. So the next morning, I went to the pastor. He ran the school that we taught at also. I said, do you got the phone records, man? Because I think I'm trying to get hold of Mike, and I, I think maybe I'm dialing the wrong number. Plus, I want to pay for my long-distance calls that I made over the last, you know, two months. Yeah, sure, let me get it for you. Gets it out. I look at what I, the card that I have or a piece of paper that I have, match it to the number. I'm like, man, that's it. This phone bill showed the exact date, the exact time, and how many minutes I spoke with him. The longest conversation lasted 27 minutes. I'm thinking, man, this is strange. So I asked the pastor, man, dial this number, put it on speakerphone. So he dials the number. Not in service. I said, man, this is really weird. So we called the operator, and uh, we had her get us connected with the, the local authorities. So we talked to the uh, police officer, and we said, hey, do me a favor. Here's the address that I got a box from, you know, a month and a half ago, and here's the phone number. Can you do some research on this? I'm trying to get hold of this guy, and I, something must be wrong here. So about an hour later, police officer calls us back, and he says, well, I don't know how to explain this to you, he said. I got him speakerphone, and pastor's in there, and the youth pastor's in there, and he says, well, I'm going to tell you something right now. That phone number and that address you gave me, they were... That was exactly right. The problem is nobody's lived that address for over 30 years. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I got a box from that house. I've talked to the phone number of that house. How could nobody have lived there for over 30 years? Well, the officer then told us the prefixes on that haven't been used in over 30 years. But here they are on that phone bill. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you how it happens. 
I think to this day, if Mike doesn't show up, I don't think I'd be here. There's no way of surviving that crash, number one. And when I looked on the box later on, I'm saying, well, what's his last name? That, that police officer says, only give it. So I walked, I looked, and there's no last name. I said, what's the name on it? He said, the only name on here is his name is Michael. And that's it. And I'm thinking, you know, like, I'm telling you, I was pretty baked. I ain't going to lie. I was like, this is not right, man. So I got to tell you something. What the scriptures say, I believe that I entertained an angel that day. I really do. You know something? What Pastor Mark's saying is stretch your hands out to somebody in need or whatever the case. It's going to happen. So that's my story. I'm not weird. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah, Tony, thanks, man. Bless your brother. Thanks. You say, was that an angel? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a coincidence. Maybe. Kind of cool coincidence, though, huh? He'd lay down taking a nap in that thing. He'd be dead today. You never know what's going on. That's why the Bible says, be nice to people. Let's start working as hard as we can, not only to continue to maintain this, but to start stretching out like this. I believe we really start stretching out like this. We will become the kind of church that will really make a difference in the world. This is tough, though. It's hard. Life would be easy if it weren't for people. (laughs) But God loves all these people. And he wants us to start loving each other. I'm going to invite our ushers at the various campuses to come forward at this time. Get ready to serve communion this morning. This is when we turn our attention on to what Christianity is all about. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. So you can have forgiveness of sins. His body was broken so you could be whole. His blood was shed so he could wash, wash away your sins. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. doesn't matter. If you could have been a good enough guy, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. He would have just said, hey, be a good guy. But he knew there was nothing we could do to fix our sin problem. So we went to that cross, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, I'm just, I don't know why I'm here. Somebody invited me here. I don't know what I'm doing here. It's just a coincidence that I happen to be here. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're here this morning on purpose. Maybe God actually knew you were here. I don't think an angel ran up to God and said, guess who's here? I'm shocked. And God goes, really? I never thought he'd be there. Maybe God actually knows what's going on in your life. And he has you here this morning for a reason. Maybe you've never really experienced God in your life. I'm not talking about just knowing about God. I'm talking about have you really experienced him in your life? If you have not, if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Jesus, you can take your first steps of faith this morning. Start to really get to know him. I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads in a word of prayer. We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer along with us. And if you'll mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can start to experience God in your life today. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much 
you went to the cross and you took my punishment I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins I now surrender myself to you Amen.